Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, my name is Dan Habib, and this is the Think Inclusive Podcast. Recording from my office in beautiful Marietta, Georgia, you are listening to the Think Inclusive Podcast, Episode 24. I'm your host, Tim Viegas. Now, before we get into our interview with Dan Habib, which I am very excited to share with you, I want to let you know of a couple things that we are very excited about. First, we want your input about topics for the podcast. So if you have an idea or you want some more information about a certain aspect of inclusive education, whether they're strategies uh, when you're in an IEP meeting, or if you want more information about research, or if you want ideas about professional development, let us know. And you can um, use Twitter so you can tweet us at think underscore inclusive. You can also ask us via the Facebook page. Um, if you just, you can find us in the um, search feature on the Facebook, or you can also contact us through our contact information page uh, at our website, thinkinclusive.us. Also, if you have ideas about guests you'd like to hear interviewed on the podcast, let us know about that as well. The other thing we're excited to uh, mention is that very soon we'll be offering what we're calling inclusion coaching. So if you just need someone to talk to you in preparation for going to an IEP meeting 
or maybe there's a specific situation where you want to advocate for your child to be included in general education for um, a significant portion of the day or all day, you just don't know how to go about that, we would love to work with you. So I will be providing more information on how that can be a reality for you very soon. We're not quite ready to share that. But if you are interested, you also can contact us via the the uh, ways I just talked about. So today we have filmmaker Dan Habib. And if you are not familiar with his films, including Samuel or Who Cares About Kelsey, after the podcast, please go check them out. They are fantastic and also great ways to introduce the topic of inclusive education and just thinking inclusively about schools and about our communities. We talk about his new film, Intelligent Lives, which is a documentary that highlights the lives of people with intellectual disabilities. And when you see this film, you will rethink the very nature of how we measure intelligence. After the podcast, please visit patreon.com backslash think inclusive podcast where you can support our goal to bring you in-depth interviews with inclusive education and community advocacy thought leaders. Also, please help other people find our podcast by giving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the Think Inclusive podcast. Thank you again for listening. It is fantastic to be a part of the Anchor.fm community and see the number of downloads that we're getting. We're very excited. If you're using um, the Anchor app, you can leave us a message. You can give us applause. And you can also share with your friends. So please, please thank you. And we really appreciate every single download and listen. So without further ado, here is the interview. Hello, everyone. Uh, I would like to introduce Dan Habib uh, to the Think Inclusive podcast. Um, Dan has been on the podcast before, uh, a few years ago, talking about uh, some of his other films. Um, he's the creator of the award-winning documentary, uh, including Samuel. Um, also, Who Cares About Kelsey? Uh, Mr. Connolly has ALS. And most recently, Intelligent Lives, um, which is why I'd like, I wanted to have him on to the podcast. Uh, Dan Habib's films have been featured in dozens of film festivals, broadcast internationally, nominated for Emmy Awards, and translated into 17 languages for worldwide distribution. Dan is a filmmaker at the University of New Hampshire's Institute on Disability. Thank you for being on the podcast. That's great to be back with you, Tim. Thanks for having me. Um, so just to start us off, what's new in your life besides the Red Sox being <laughs> the, just unbelievable? Every time you're on the podcast, it looks like they're going to win the World Series. So I'm getting a little, you know, 
I think we should do this every year then and make sure the World Series every year. Yeah, you know, we actually went to spring training this year, Sam, my wife and I, and so it was really fun. He got to meet like some of the best players, Chris Sale and and Xander um, Bogarts and all these guys, and they were so incredibly friendly. So yeah, we're we're real into it this year, and and Samuel. Uh, Believe it or not, is is in a transition point in his life. He's graduated high school and he's now moving on to some other things. So, um, you know, just for your viewers who might be interested in including Samuel and knowing about that, he started taking college classes uh, this year. He's taking a community college class. He's doing uh, the Partners in Policy Making, which is a national series on disability rights and leadership. Um, he's got a little TV show that he's working on around disability rights for our local community access station, and he's still taking a couple of electives at the high school and, and getting support from the high school. So he's uh, he's got a good transition plan. And so if you, if you have him frozen in time as that little four, five, six-year-old, and including Samuel, it's not him anymore. He's shaving. He's interested in girls. He's got lots of things going on. That that is absolutely amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Um, Thanks. Thanks. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, well, why don't we start uh, really where um, the idea of intelligent lives began? So I know that you sure. you have you've worked on documentaries, you know, throughout your career. But so where did it where did this idea start? Well, years ago, I was um, you know winding up my film, uh, Who Cares About Kelsey, my last feature length film, and started you know having conversations with people about what what could be the next big project and. I had this idea planted by a number of people who said, you know, one of the big challenges, if not the biggest challenge for people with disabilities is perception of intelligence, is that, you know, if you have a disability, whether it's a physical disability or an emotional disability or, you know, visual or hearing or certainly an intellectual disability, you know, you're just viewed as being less intelligent, less capable, less able to be included in school, less able to be included in competitive integrated employment, less you know, able to be in a relationship, it's just a huge impediment. And I think it's largely because our society has this very narrow view of what it means to be intelligent. You know, and if you asked 10 people on the street, how do you measure intelligence? I bet nine of them would probably say, well, an IQ test or something like that, right? And um, and so the challenge that I, I kind of took on at that point about five years ago was how do you blow up the whole notion that there's any one way to measure intelligence or even or even any way to measure intelligence or, or at least measure a person's um, ability to contribute meaningfully to society. And, um, and, and so that was the challenge. And then you think about, well, how do you actually do that in a film? And I started doing research and found that, you know, students with intellectual disability are certainly the most segregated group of students. So only 17% of students with intellectual disability are included in regular education. And as you know, the inclusion standard is at least 80% of your day in regular education settings. Um, only 40% will graduate with a regular high school diploma by the age of 21. And then when, it, when they get out, of course, of school, uh, not surprisingly, the unemployment rates are tremendously high. There's only about 15% in, um, employment rate for people with intellectual disability. So all these things really were bothering me, the, the, the such horrible outcomes, that I decided to take on this project. And I ended up finding three young adults who are real paradigm shifters that I focused on certainly we could talk more about them if you'd like. Yeah, where where did you find these individuals? Did you, did you go and, and kind of within your own network try to find these people, or did they come um, and reach out to you? It was a combination. You know, I had known, uh, so the three people, there's actually in some ways four families, I would say, featured in the film. Um, first of all, I one of my early decisions, which I'm very happy I was able to make, was to, to, also, to look in part at the historical perspective on this, the fact that we are a country that has systematically segregated, institutionalized, and 
hard to say it, but true, forcibly sterilized tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands of people in this country. Uh, the whole eugenics movement of the, of the 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s and the 1900s uh, led to the forcible sterilization of 60,000 people, the mass institutionalization of hundreds of thousands of people, much of it based on IQ tests. And so I, I really wanted to tell that backstory in part in this film because, um, you know, if you look at a movement like Black Lives Matter and you don't understand our history of racism and slavery in this country, it doesn't make sense, right? If you don't understand the role that with the, the, the uh, kind of oppression and suppression of women in this country, you don't understand the Me Too movement. So um, I felt that historical background was important. I was able to get the actor Chris Cooper, who's a really well-known Academy Award-winning actor. Most of your listeners have probably seen him in, in movies like Born Conspiracy or The Muppets or Adaptation. He won the Academy Award. Um, he narrates the historical portion, but also talks very personally about his son, Jesse, who, like Samuel, had cerebral palsy, um, was always underestimated because he navigated the world in a different way, right, in a wheelchair and with a communication device. So he, he's a big part of the film. But really, the three main people uh, who I follow are Micah Fialka Feldman, who I've known for a number of years, him and his family. And Micah goes to Syracuse University. He has a vibrant social life of hanging out with graduate students, doctoral students. He co-teaches university classes and attends classes, got his certificate uh, in disability studies, and has an IQ of 40. So he's or was given an IQ of 40, I should say, when he was younger. So, so he's a real paradigm shifter. Um, then I knew about the Henderson School in Boston because I'd done some filming for the SWIFT project, which was a big national project to scale up inclusive ed you're probably very familiar with. Um, and so Nair's a young man with autism uh, who's also a very gifted painter. But you know, be, this comes out in the film quite a bit because he's a tall black man with communication challenges. He's often, um, you know, his, his parents and even some of the teachers are concerned about how he's going to be perceived out in the community with, you know, unpredictable behaviors and outside of this Henderson bubble. Um, and then the last character that I was able to find through a lot of research was I really wanted to represent the employment realm. And I was hoping to find someone that was transitioning from a sheltered workshop situation, which is where, you know, a segregated workplace, often for less than minimum wage, into paid, competitive, integrated employment. And I wanted to find a woman because I already had two guys that I was filming. Um, I, I liked my films to be very diverse ethnically, so I was pre preferring to find someone who had ethnic diversity other than white. Um, but I found a young woman named Naomi Montplaisir, whose family is originally from Haiti, and whose high school, the Birch School in Providence, Rhode Island, housed a sheltered workshop where they had students working, like assembling jewelry or tasks like that for little or no pay, and while they weren't, you know, studying history or science or English, it, it was very awful. And this was just 2013. I mean, this was not a long time ago. And this school was actually part of a major lawsuit by the U.S. Department of Justice against Rhode Island that was settled um, in 2014. And since then, they've been transitioning everyone into paid, competitive, integrated employment, including Naomi. So I've been filming her transition. So those 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 were the characters that I was able to uh, were able to film for about three to four years. Uh, so I guess that would be another question: Is yeah, how long did this how long did this project take for you to to do yeah. that? It varies. I mean, I you know, a film generally takes me about three three and a half years to turn around from start to finish. Um, usually, filming is at least two to three years, and then towards the latter part of filming, you're starting to do rough cut editing and production, um, and then you get into like the really fine post production of music and color and all that. Uh, a lot of it is fundraising. You know, we have to raise, I have to raise several hundred thousand dollars a year to do these projects. I have to raise almost a million dollars for each of my films. So that's hard. <laughs> we rely a lot on 
foundations, individual donations, things like that. But, um, but you know, it, it really varies. Nair, I ended up filming from his freshman year right into his senior year. Naomi, I did it during a more condensed time frame of about a year. So, um, so yeah, it's, it's quite a labor of love, and you've got to really make sure you pick topic areas and issues that you care deeply about to keep your attention for three to four years. Right, right. Um, well, I, I, I loved each of these stories um, with uh, Micah, uh, Nair and Naomi. Um, uh, Naomi, it, it, it connected with me because I, I do have people in my family who work in uh, not necessarily in sheltered workshops, but in in jobs that don't pay full wages. And yeah. so even yeah. even you know even in even in our own families, sometimes we have situations where the you know they're they're not treated fairly at all, and uh, th- this particular instance is in California, um, where it's still very much legal, um, quote unquote, for people to be paid sub minimum wage if they have right. a disability, which is right. completely ridiculous. Yes, yeah, there's a lot of legislation going on around that right now um, from various groups, and you know I think. Uh, there, I'm actually going to be in Washington on this September 26th of this year, taking part in a congressional briefing. They'll touch on that. So I think part of it is eliminating the subminimum wage, but that's not in itself. I think the whole battle. I think the whole battle is really showing that people with all kinds of disabilities can work regular jobs. It doesn't mean they necessarily work full-time jobs. It doesn't necessarily mean they work without any support or without any kind of customized, um, you know, employment. But uh, but everyone, I really do believe virtually everyone, if not everyone, can work, and and I, I think it's so important to show that in my films. And I try when I when I pick people like Naomi. I mean, Naomi has significant challenges, and I, I don't want to pick people that make it look easy, you know, <laughs> uh, and, and because I think then you can just write them off and say, oh sure, well they can be included or they can work, but certainly not so and so, the person that I know. I, I want to show people that. If they can do it, almost anybody can. Right. Well, I think that that might be the perception too. Like e- even um, even seeing this film, uh, you know, and seeing how the the inclusion process in each of these stories, right? Um, I, I think it. I think trying to find the parallel between well, okay, well, how does this relate to my story? How does this relate to the people that I know? Well, you know, you know. The, the people in my life would never be able to do what Naomi did or Micah did or anything like that. Um, and one of the other things is, and I th- think that we've talked about uh, this or you alluded to it, is that inclusion uh, doesn't necessarily mean um, in one place 100% of the time with no support. Like right. there's obviously there's, there's support that's involved and it's planned support. Yeah, exactly. It, it is. And, it's, and you know, Micah's family, who I love, Janice and Rich's parents are longtime um, activists, and they actually wrote a really beautiful book um, uh, that, that is out now that we actually, you know, helped get out there for Janice and their family um, about their story. And, and they, you know, they talk about interdependence rather than independence. And I think that's a great way to frame things. Because um, interdependence is really how we all live, right? None of us. I mean, when I make a film, I rely on music composers and colorists and editors and you know audio engineers. I don't do this myself. There's so many people that are part of a team. And so when you watch Intelligent Lives, you see Nair in his school. You see really progressive approaches to 
high school teachers co-teaching or doing universal design for learning or differentiating their instruction for different learners, uh, positive behavioral supports. I mean, I think you see in, in just a fairly small amount of footage in the film where Nair is in high school, all these evidence-based practices, what they really look like in real life. And then, you know, and same thing in Micah's school. You see representation of this national network of schools we now have as part of the Think College network where, we're, where people, universities and colleges are creating pathways all over the country and hundreds of programs for students with intellectual disability to go to college. And then in Naomi's situation, um, yeah, there, she does these job trials first to see what's the right fit. And it turns out that she's a very kind of tactile person and, and a very socially outgoing person. And she thrives in the beauty salon where she has an opportunity in the film. So I think so much of it is really finding the right fit, especially around employment, finding the right fit for somebody. And, and I certainly wouldn't do well if I went into a computer science lab and someone asked me to write program like my dad used to do. That's not my skill set. So uh, there's, there's, we all have strengths and, and, and challenges. You know, I find I I find that the the parallel is so strong between, you know, like for instance, in the story of Naomi having um, having a way to connect her interests with her network, right? So right. what is available within her own local community and network, and match that with exactly. her I- interests? I thought that was a, a really powerful example of how you, you don't have to reinvent the wheel; you just have to be very creative in in what is available and and uh, and the people she already knows. Right, um, like the social capital meeting. I think you're referring to exactly I mean, that was that was one of the you know. There's a couple of different aspects of the film where you get basically what we might call person-centered planning. You know, which is a known topic for a lot of people that I'm sure listen to your podcast, where you, you focus on the person in the middle of in their life, and they assemble a team of people around them that they really believe in, that they trust, and then, that, and then they have the space, someone like Naomi or Micah, to, to think about their hopes and their dreams and their goals, and then the group comes together and says, how are we going to help you do this? And in Naomi's case specifically, it's around what is the social capital that you already have in the community? Who do you know? Where, where are stores and businesses that you frequent? You know, where do you have friends and relatives? And they use that to, to, to have this great brainstorm session, the short scene in the film, where they end up coming up with the idea of going to Empire Beauty School as one of her um, internships, and she ends up being very successful there. Right. Yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful moment, I think, in the film. Um, um, I, I see that parallel with even uh, as an educator and trying to connect um, the interests and the passions of students with the curriculum. And uh, right. that, that is definitely something that we talk about when we, when we refer to universal design for learning is using those interests and passions as a, as a bridge to, uh, for engagement. So, um, right. And I, I think you see that in Nair's story where art becomes a very important part of his life. And, and he, that's also, I think, his career path in a way right now. And so the fact that he's given lots of opportunities in high school to pursue his art, he's, his art gets exhibited. We actually had at the, at the premiere of the film here in New Hampshire where I live, we, we had Nair and his family come up and they did an art exhibit of all this film and he sold out within like 10 minutes right after the screening. <laughs> so he's definitely, I said, Nair, you got to keep painting because your work is beautiful. And we're actually, um, we actually made prints from some of his work and we, we sell them and all the proceeds go back to the Henderson School Art Program. So we're really, I'm so blown away by his, his artwork. That's amazing. Um, let's talk a little bit about um, the, the 
the data that you were uh, that you talked about for high school graduation for for students mm-hmm. with uh, intellectual disabilities. Um, sure. I don't know what it is like in New Hampshire as far as um, uh, you know what path. Uh, certain students get put on at what time I know in Georgia and this is where this is where I live um, it's difficult because because of the way the state rules are uh, if you you have to pick a certain path when you get to yeah for a high school diploma Um, and I know that different states have it in in different ways but um, a lot of times uh, parents are very confused about this, and so by the time they get to high school, if a student does have an intellectual disability and maybe is not able to keep up uh, with the academics and is not able to pass the state uh, end of grade tests, um, right. but they but they didn't um, they didn't want to go with a modified curriculum and go with alternate uh, assessment as as part of uh, their educational plan. Uh, they're yep. stuck because, well, now it's too late, and now you can't go into these some of these transition work programs and, and stuff like that. So, I don't know if you can talk a little bit about that, maybe how New Hampshire does it, or just in general, because I know that you, I, I know that you probably uh, know more about that in you know as far as what you, the United States has in general. Right? Are you sure? I mean, I'm definitely not an expert in this area, but I can touch on it a little bit. <clears throat> I mean, I think that. Um, you know, the reality is that I tend not to, first of all, I don't judge any family or any individual for, for going their own route, right, and whatever route they feel is appropriate for their family. What I do look at is the systemic approach, and I, and I do get to compare that a lot nationally as I travel and talk to people. And so, for instance, where my son Samuel goes to high school, public high school, Concord High School, there's one diploma. There's no other diploma. There's one diploma. It is not like a certificate of attendance. There's not a state diploma. It's just a Concord High School diploma. And they work extremely hard to have every single student in the school, whether they have a disability or not, no matter what the disability is, get that diploma and work towards that diploma. And so, and they do that in part by trying to create universal design for learning in their classrooms, you know, by trying to um, do really effective modifications that still are in line with the general education curriculum, but but are appropriate for different different people's um, abilities or disabilities. And, and, and I've seen that happen in many states. And we also don't have a state exam that you need to take in order to graduate, like it sounds like you might have in Georgia or, or that we or like in New York, they have the Regents Test, which is a big impediment for a lot of students for graduation. Um, they, so it really varies tremendously state by state. So I think if, you, if you're living in a place like New York and, you, and everything is geared towards passing this Regents Test, um, you may think that's the reality everywhere, and it's not. But you might make decisions early on in your child's education saying, well, he's never going to pass the region, so we might as well just do an alternate assessment. And then, as you say, what happens is you really fall off any track that could lead towards a regular high school diploma, um, which, you know, it's okay. It's understandable. You're still hopefully going to get an education, but you're not going to have a diploma that might get you into the military or into certain jobs or to, um, you know, certain colleges. So I, I think it is a real issue, and I all I could do is I wish I could, you know, wave a magic wand, but I think it's really around state and local policy, and even at the school level, really working with people, working with their local schools to make sure that the high school diploma is accessible and attainable for virtually every student in the school. Right, right. Um, 
what what do you think of, as far as a strategy for families because what i see in in micah's situation in the film is that family uh micah's family was uh, very intent on micah attending general education classroom and uh throughout his his whole career uh as a student um and it sounds like that they had monthly meetings not only um with you know uh, for for Micah to be with his support staff, and that continued along um, up until I, I can't remember the uh, through yeah, po- right post secondary. Sure. Right, right. So, what what would be a strategy that you would give uh, a family that was d- trying to go that route? Well, I mean, you, you, it's a good point to bring up Micah, and, and just to, to clarify, what those meetings he was having were actually kind of his circle of support meetings, which Janice and Rich's parents helped uh, initiate, and, and they weren't just support staff, they were actually friends, and they, and they continue to be friends. I mean, some now he's an adult, some of his support staff do go to those, but they were really kind of organic meetings that started with elementary school peers, but they really did intersect with their commitment and their strong belief in inclusive education. Um, now, Micah was the one who first came home in first grade and, and said words that forever changed their family's uh, trajectory, which was, why don't I get to go into the same door as my friends? You know, they had, spe- quote-unquote, special ed kids going in one door, and they had the typical kids going in another door. And he said, why don't I get to go in the same door? And um, and he, he ended up he ended up speaking about that quite a bit in his own speaking, through the same door. So, I, But I think that reflects uh, something that my wife and I have also, I think, were able to develop, thankfully, early in Samuel's life, which was a vision for where, how we wanted him to feel in our community. And we wanted him to feel like he belonged in our community, in every aspect of our community, in schools, in, our, in, um, in the family, in the neighborhood. And we couldn't imagine you know, him feeling like he belonged in our community unless he was in his regular school. So when I, when I do a lot of talks with family groups and, and I show films, and I think the biggest thing is having that vision early on of, of where you want your child how their life to progress. Now, it doesn't mean that every single family is going to choose inclusive education or 100% inclusive education. And there may be families that really tried it and didn't feel like it was successful. But I, I think that in most cases, it's because the, 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 they didn't have the right array of supports, you know, to make that child feel successful in class. Um, and my wife and I, as I mentioned, did, did this kind of leadership series when Samuel was very young uh, that helped us get through that um, and have that vision. But I think that a lot of it is just looking at the research and understanding that 30 years of data is irrefutable, that students with disabilities who are included in regular education end up having better outcomes in terms of their, um, in terms of their academic outcomes, in terms of their social outcomes, communication, behavior, post-secondary, employment, across the board. And so I think it's very important for families to know that if they can work with their schools, work with their communities, to have a, a strong approach to having their child included in regular ed, it's likely that that child will end up with better outcomes in all those areas. And and, and I think also just have a, a really strong social network. So, you know, I could talk about this for the rest of the hour, but I, I feel like <laughs> it's it just, I try not to be too, you know, dictatorial about it, or, or I, I don't want to sound like I'm just lecturing people, but I just want people to know the research and also our own experience around how much it's improved and supported Samuel's social life. No, thank you for speaking to that. Um, sure. And um, I, I think people need to hear it from lots of different sources. So, um, mm-hmm. so that was that was amazing. Um, sure. Where can if somebody wants to see this film, Intelligent Lives, mm-hmm. where can they see it? 
So we, we're doing some really cool new things with this film that we haven't done before. So first of all, we have some immediate, I know this podcast will be aired soon, and we have some immediate events coming up. I'm, gonna, I'm heading to Los Angeles on Tuesday, uh, September 11th, and I'm going to be showing the film on September 12th, 13th, and 14th in L.A., and all this stuff is on our website, uh, intelligentlives.org. And then the following week, we have, we're really excited. We have our New York City theatrical premiere. I've never done this before, but we're doing a week-long run in New York starting September 21st. So anybody in the New York area, I really encourage them to check that out. I'm also doing events at um, LIU Post on Long Island and um, in Westchester on the 20th. And then on the 26th of September, I'm going to be at the National Press Club in Washington showing this with Syracuse University uh, hosting. So we have some really great special events in September. And then October, it's actually showing all over the country. So again, if people check out the website, um, they can see a list of all the screenings. And, And one innovative thing that we've done this year that we've never done before, which is leading to a lot of screenings, is there's a platform called Gather. And Gather allows people anywhere in the country, if they have a movie theater in their community, to host a screening of the film and for free. And all they need to do is kind of rally the troops in their community and get um, people to buy tickets. It might be 30 tickets, 40 tickets. But once the screening hits a certain number of tickets, it tips or it happens. And then people just go out to the movies. And you can arrange discussions around them. You can have panels. You can organize um, you know, a resource fair for young adults. You can even make it a fundraiser for your local community. So really excited about that. And all that information is on our website in the host of screening area. And then finally, for now, we're also um, I'm doing events all around the country for the next year. I'll be all over the place. You can see that on the website. And we just released the education kit of the DVD that you know schools, universities, nonprofits can purchase and, uh, and show the film in their own community, whether it's a library or a university auditorium or a class. Um, and that contains both the film, but I also produced four short films on post-secondary transition that I filmed around the country also over the last few years. Uh, based on a lot of research around what really helps students with disabilities transition from you know high school into employment and higher education, and uh, there are four totally different stories that I filmed everywhere from a, a Indian reservation in South Dakota where they're teaching entrepreneurship skills to um, a wonderful program called Promise that's happening all around the country, including Arkansas where I was filming where they give students work experience starting at age 14 for 200 hours a summer. Um, I, I filmed a young man named Garrett here in New Hampshire that's doing incredible stuff in high school, leading his own IEP meetings, doing internships with the gym teacher, uh, playing unified sports, inclusive education, just kind of a model for all that. So, I, so I'm really excited to get these films out there into the world. And you know, like I said, everything's on our website or our Intelligent Lives Facebook group or Twitter. We're, we're pretty active on social media. Fantastic. So if you were listening, go ahead and go to Intelligent Lives. Is it .org? .org, yeah. Okay. And uh, check out how you can see this film, whether it is uh, in L.A., New York, or D.C., or in your local community. And I love the idea of using Gather uh, to... Um, uh, promote something in your local community. Um, So before I let you go, um, I know people probably already, are you asking about about what is next? I know that you have, (laughs) I know that you have a whole year of uh, promoting this film. Is that even something that's on your mind right now? Well, it it is and it isn't. I mean, I, you, you, you put a film together and people, you're right, you'll ask, what's next? I'm like, what's next is making this film get out there into the world. <laughs> you know, it's tremendous. It's like a full-time job for sure. Uh-huh. I'm traveling almost every week this whole year uh, with this film. Um, but I am, I'm doing a couple of small projects for some outside um, 
sources. There's a there's a university, Millersville University in Pennsylvania, that has a really strong uh, Think College program. You know, uh, one of the programs for students with intellectual disability. And I'm filming, doing some work with them, filming their program at a Temple University. I'm doing a couple other projects. You know what? I'll tell you. I'll give you a little inside scoop. I mean, Samuel and I. Samuel now, as I said, is almost 19, 18 and a half. He and I are thinking about doing some work together, it's like co-producing, co-directing okay. a project. We don't have a real hard plan yet, so there's nothing totally to report out. But it's definitely something that I, I see as my next project because you know, just getting to spend time with him, and he's done a lot of wonderful film work on his own. So um, that's kind of where I'm thinking my next uh, big project might be. Okay. All right. Well, you heard it here first on the Think Inclusive <laughs> podcast, right? All right. Got it. Um, Dan Habib, I really appreciate your time uh, and your willingness to speak with us today. Oh, thanks, Tim. I always enjoy speaking with you, and I really appreciate the opportunity. That is our show. We would like to thank Dan Habib for being a guest on the Think Inclusive podcast. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and Facebook and look for a film screening of Intelligent Lives near you. Follow Think Inclusive on the web at thinkinclusive.us, as well as Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and Instagram. You can also subscribe to the Think Inclusive podcast via Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or Anchor.fm. If you're using the Anchor app to listen, please leave us a voice message, favorite us, and or use the applause button. We love knowing that you are listening. From Marietta, Georgia, please join us again on the Think Inclusive podcast. Thanks for your time and attention. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.